0: Stanford University.
1: I think that doctoral programs in, in business and in all these disciplines share a lot of features with doctoral programs in most disciplines, which is you're going to spend the first couple of years taking coursework, learning the core kinds of theories and methods in your discipline. Some programs have everyone do some general requirements across the board, regardless of your discipline, and then more detailed, uh, in-depth field requirements. Other programs, you kind of go right into your field. So that's an important difference to think about. After two years of coursework, or usually by the end of two years of coursework, there will be Uh, an exam. And every university has uh, an exam, whether it's called a comprehensive exam, a qualifying exam, a field exam. And this exam is essentially measuring your comprehensive understanding of the major theories and methods in, in your field. After that point, students really start beginning transitioning into research. And although sometimes there can be some tentative wading into research uh, in earlier years usually by the third year is when students are really transitioning from kind of taking a lot of courses to actually doing research and and eventually kind of producing uh, their own knowledge, whether that starts as collaborative research with faculty or some of your other colleagues in the program, and then gradually moves into your own research, or it starts with independent research. There are lots of different ways that that can happen, and a lot of it's dependent upon both the program and your, your individual discipline. So that takes you to kind of year three. And usually year three and four and, and, and five are spent kind of figuring out and doing what your own research project or projects are and eventually producing a piece of original work uh, in the form of a dissertation. And, and the forms and formats of dissertations vary, but typically there are two or three papers on either a related stream of research or two or three kind of pieces that that you've done during that that time period, once you've kind of transitioned into research. And usually that program and that experience culminates in either an oral exam of some kind, in some places it's called a dissertation defense. So that format kind of varies also uh, by program as well. And usually most of your fifth year, uh, and most people can finish these programs in in five years, uh, is spent on the job market. So going out there, getting your research out there, talking about it with other people and other schools, and ideally landing a great job at the conclusion. Admissions criteria. Again, there's, there's variance among programs, but basically we want everyone, everyone needs to have an undergraduate degree. There's no graduate degree required, although some people do enter programs with graduate study, whether it's a master's degree, an MBA. In some cases, we have students that have a doctorate in another field who are, are transitioning into uh, one of our disciplines, um, but it's not required. Usually a standardized test score, GRE exam in some cases, GMAT exam in some cases. This is another thing you're gonna wanna check because those requirements vary from school to school. Letters of recommendations and uh, a personal statement. And a personal statement is really a way for you to tell the admissions committee kind of what brought you to this point, what you're interested in, in studying, and why this particular school and program is a good fit for you. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up, but we can talk more in in the Q&A. But the one thing I would say is that um, the question I get asked a lot is, you know, what should I be looking for in a program? And the advice I always give students is, you want to really do your homework. Go to each school that you're interested in. See what the faculty in your program and in your discipline are doing. Read their CVs. Read papers that they're working on. See working papers. See what students, many of whom have their own websites out there, are working on in that program. And ultimately, look for places where there are a number of people who you think are doing work that's interesting to you and or who could support the kind of work that you want to do and add value to it. I think the wrong strategy is to find and fixate on one person who you think may be and, and may be in fact a superstar in the field and kind of throw all your chips in with that one person. That's a really big um, gamble. So I'm going to turn it over to Anant.
0: Thank you, Dr. Erstein. Sure. Uh, Professor Edmadi, why academia? Can you tell us um, a little bit about the contribution to business practice, um, you know, the financial rewards,
2: the lifestyle? Um, maybe some interesting research. And you are you doing? doing? You're only giving me a minute? I know. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably go on and on. Yeah, I can. Um, I think when you think of uh, academic career, and I now have been in this career for a scary almost 30 years or something, well, not quite, but 30 years since I started the PhD program. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's hard to think of a job that uh, has more autonomy and more freedom to a person where you actually do not on a day-to-day basis have a boss and you really can follow a lot of your own urges and interests and control a lot of your day-to-day activities. The biggest freedom you have is the research freedom to think about things that you think are interesting, that, you, that grab you, that you want to know the answer to. And that's, that's an amazing freedom that, uh, that, an, that an academic usually has. We, we're not usually told what to do research on. We're informed by the fields and by our own understanding of what needs to be done next or what we think we can do next ourselves and how we can contribute. There's a lot of things you can choose within the job, so that you can really tailor it to your own taste. Some people like to work with other people; some people like to work alone. Um, there is uh, even when you teach, which all of us do, you control a lot of what you what you teach, and also within the course, uh, how you present the materials, uh, what, how to sequence the material. A lot of that is just your own view and your own decisions. Sometimes you discuss this with other people, but you really have a lot of autonomy. Even who you teach, whether it's MBAs, some schools have, uh, and you can choose a school sometimes accordingly, some schools have undergrad programs, some have uh, active PhD programs, which level you choose to teach uh, is oftentimes at least partly influenced by what you like to teach, what you enjoy teaching, what you're good at. Later in a career like that, some people choose to mix it with other things, like they could write books, uh, sit on boards, they can consult. There's a lot of flexibility there to kind of go one day a week or at some level to, to do this. I should also mention some people teach executives in some of these programs, so schools have that, but it's optional whether you teach there or not. Oftentimes, it's just an extra thing that you choose to do. Sometimes people only do it later in their career because of a lot of research requirements earlier on. You can travel in this job to conferences. Some people do more of it than, uh, than others. Some people like the conferences that are held near ski resorts, and other people <laughs> avoid them like me because I don't ski. Uh, you have advising relationships with students, um, especially PhD students, and that's a very satisfying part of the, uh, of the job as well. And some people have more of it than others, but that's, again, part of your, your autonomy. And you have some flexibility with respect to your work hours, Oftentimes, you don't teach all quarters, certainly research is flexible, some people are morning people, some people are night people, uh, but I, I like especially for the the bulk of the first uh, decade or two uh, in this job and often time at, at periods of time within the job, I like uh, a colleague of mine uh, once telling somebody that this is an extremely flexible job, you can work any eighty hours a week that you want. <laughs> so uh, it is a lot of work. Often time and sometimes I, uh, in the very beginning of my career, I remember um, walking out of the building and the problem I'm thinking about is like I can't think of anything else because it's, I mean, it's I'm really obsessed with you know solving that problem or finding the the, the proof or whatever, and I remember looking at like. Uh, Faculty assistants going home and thinking, "Wow, <laughs> you know, they're done. They don't take their work home with them like I do." So there is that. It really can be, you know, people can become workaholic, it can not have a balance. But uh, but it's again in your hands to have to have the balance. Um, the other thing I would say is that it's an exciting job because it's it's <clears throat> always interesting and it's always new. You can always learn a new subject sort of leave a research area that you kind of get tired of and kind of feel like you've said what you said and then move to some other area. Then when you do do the research, if you're lucky, you make a difference in this research. You create a new idea that other people then proceed with and uh, you feel like you made a little difference to the research and then eventually trickling down to, to maybe the practice even or understanding of, of how systems work or how, um, how to understand various processes within, within business. Now, in terms of lifestyle, I would say it's not a job where you usually become extremely rich, but it's a fairly well-paid job. Some people, if they really enjoy it, say, "I can't believe they pay me to do this." So, um, but you know, it is work. But uh, but if you like it and if if you're a good fit for it, it is uh, it is well-paid for. for, for that kind of thing, if you really enjoy it. But that's true for every job that you enjoy, probably. Um, <clears throat> also, within business schools, I would say that uh, you, we are lucky because uh, business schools tend to the business schools that are research oriented tend to have resources for research quite bit, and so we don't end up spending a lot of our time writing grants and depending on soft money uh for for research because we're very well supported to to go to conferences to get data sets to to have the time in the summer to do research mm-hmm. And, and, and all of that, to have research assistants, uh, all the stuff that uh, that we need. So, uh, and then the other thing about this career is that in most places we have this wonderful invention uh, called the tenure system, uh, which basically the way it works is you get an initial contract for working, and it's usually a few years, so it's not like it's gonna be over in a year or anything, you do have a little time, and then it gets renewed, you get reviewed, uh, depending on your research and, and, and other things, you might, you will hopefully get it extended for a few more years meanwhile all this time there's some kind of a clock that's ticking and uh, it's called the tenure clock and that system uh, which could be seven years sometimes more sometimes less is uh, is sticking with a sort of uh, up or out uh, system where at some point you get reviewed and if you do make it through that system the clock stops ticking. And at that point you really have a lot of flexibility. And the nice thing about that is that you do not have to you can really go deeply into research subject and you can take some chances with that. And that is the idea behind this system. It's not just to give us job security. It's it's to allow us to to be bold in our research and it sort of rewards innovation. I had a PhD student actually write a paper on that book album. Uh, on how on how this kind of system uh, encourages people to uh, to take uh, to take leaps in their research and try and and allow themselves to fail sometimes as well. So you, you, if the system has enough enough uh, flexibility to allow that you have the time, the, the luxury of time, which you wouldn't have in consulting jobs or other policy jobs, but of course in in sort of on a trading desk in Wall Street where everything is just on the minute, and even if you do research, it's just under a lot a lot of pressure. Um, and then in terms of lifestyle as well, I'd say the flexibility is very nice. It's nice for families. Faculty oftentimes, can coach Little League and do these th- kinds of things that uh, allow some balance in their lives. And of course, they end up preparing classes at 1 a.m., but, uh, but they, it's their choice. They don't have to to, uh, to do it that way. How am I doing? You asked me to talk Thank about you. really interesting <laughs> research in my field, but I knew I won't get this. So. Thank you, Anath. <laughs> Plus, that's... my field, of course, was dumped on the last two years. So, Perhaps we'll get a finance <laughs> research, right? I'll tell you how to fix it all. Right?
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, research, obviously, is a significant part of a career in, in academia and as a doctoral student. So, um, Baba, perhaps you can tell us what type of research is being done in a business school. What's it like? Um. Let me start off by saying what it is not like. Okay. When I joined uh, the PhD program at Duke, I'd already worked for six years, I had an MBA. Uh, so I was one of the late bloomers, so to speak. I mean, I was 31 when I joined the PhD program, and I had no clue. This was before the age of the internet, 91 is when I joined Duke. And I thought a PhD program was all about, you know, I'll become an expert as a marketer, and I can give advice and do advice to people. You no, know, why wait until to become a CEO in 10 years? I can do that in five years, and I'll be giving advice. And it turned out it was completely wrong. Uh, it is it is very research oriented. There's no difference between what Anath does and I do. Uh, Eric does in in terms of being the business school versus being in um, social sciences. I mean, you you're you, are, you are in the economics group. you be doing the same kind of research. Uh, so I mean, the research becomes extremely important. In fact, uh, I would say that Anat talked about tenure. Uh, those of you who think that you wanted you want to do uh, get into academia because you want to be a teacher. You want to teach. I mean, that's what—that's—that's that's where your thing is. Um, you're going to be—you're going to be disappointed uh, in the sense that uh, all the evaluation criteria, at least until you make tenure, which what I talked about, will be based on. P- on research I mean teaching matters, but it 's predominantly going to be based on research. In fact, the letters of evaluation that are going to come from outside evaluating your uh, you know candidacy to tenure uh, will often involve people who are not in the field they 're not in business schools they 'll be in the social sciences they 'll be psychologists economists and so on um, so that was that was uh, the, the major kind of thing I wanted to kind of share with you um, so so that is one. Now, how, how are we different from the social sciences? Well, one, as Anat pointed out, I mean, we get paid a lot more money. <laughs> Believe me. I mean, relatively speaking, we get out paid a lot more money and we don't have to write grants, uh, which they have to do. So we get, it gives us a lot more time. Having said that, there is a lot more teaching that is involved. Teaching in the sense that because you start teaching MBAs, uh, at some point in time in your careers, you'll start teaching MBAs, um, executives, and so on, which for me is a lot of fun, uh, because it's a great way for me to interact with people in the real-world environment. And I'll talk about one research uh, idea that I, was, I worked on that actually came from uh, an executive program that I was teaching. Uh, the spark of the idea came from there, um, but it is it is thing. So for example, this particular quarter is my teaching quarter, and as Anad said, I get done with teaching in 10 weeks. The rest of the year, I can be anywhere I want in the world. No one is going to ask me anything. And that's the flexibility that, that comes with the thing, and of course with tenure. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so um, yeah, so there's going to be the teaching element involved. It's going to be much more intense, unlike the, and many of you have been in other programs, undergraduate programs, where a teacher can come in and just literally read off a sheet of paper or you know, notes, and you cannot do that out here so it's a little bit more deeply involved. That's probably why we get paid more. Anyway, so um, in terms of an example of, of a research idea, right? I mean, so think, think about the kind of research. So this was an idea where we now, it is now called the price placebo effect. Some of you might have already heard about this. It um, came from um, this observation that I had that, you know, one way by which you can build a competitive advantage, that is, you make sure that the consumer buys your product, compared to the competitor's product, the easiest way to do that is to reduce prices. Right? You you either reduce prices permanently or you give an incentive in the form of rebates and coupons and discounts and so on. And I would ask these people, for example, I would ask executives at Dell, and they used to come when I was at the University of Iowa, they would come over there and I'll ask them, aren't you worried that if you keep lowering your prices because you're a classic price leader, that's the price leadership strategy they're adopting aren't you worried that it will negatively hurt perceptions about your product? Because we do know that reduced prices is going to hurt perceptions. And their argument was, yes, it is going to hurt perceptions, but someone is going to use... My, our computer, and a computer is of good quality. And therefore, it'll, the marketplace will correct for itself. Why? Right? I'm going to use the computer. I'm going to discover that it is of good quality. And I'm going to blog. I'm going to communicate to my friends that it is of good quality. And that is the question that I wanted to challenge. Is it possible that it is not just a matter of perception, that if you think a product is not good, the product itself will be not good? Right? So a good example of that study, I'm, I'm a psychologist. So if I divide this room into, how am I doing on time? You have a few minutes. OK. So I can keep talking all the time. I, I, I like talking, by the way, as, you can, as you can tell. So let us say I'm going to divide this, this, this group into, into two groups, so the between-subject design. So what I'm going to do to this half uh, is not aware to this half and vice versa. So I'm going to have you tell you that this is a study about uh, energy drinks like Red Bull. And this is consumed in undergraduate and campuses so on, college campuses, you know, before exams when people want to be alert because of the caffeine and amino acids and so on. And I'm, but I'm going to tell you that we don't know about the efficacy of these uh, of these drinks. So the whole study is about the efficacy of these drinks. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you guys buy this drink from me at a full price, regular price, $1.89, for example. And you will buy this from me at a discounted price. So you'll pay at $0.89. Cents. I'll tell you what is the full price, but I'll tell you that you're getting this discount only because we got an institutional discount and I'm passing it on to you. That's all. You're going to consume the drink and you'll end up solving a series of word jumble puzzles. So you have 15 puzzles to be solved in 30 minutes. And the question i am be asking here is that, is it possible that the number of puzzles that you will end up solving will be different than the number of puzzles that you will end up solving? And is it possible that you folks will put in more effort into the task than you folks? And that's indeed what we found. In other words, what we show here in the study, series of studies, and we are now moved into, so as uh, in the introduction they said, um, we do neuroscience research, right? So one of the other questions is that, think about the category of wine. I mean, huge range of prices. People will swear, even the experts will swear, the connoisseurs, not the experts, will swear that the higher the price, the better is the experience. And so the question we ask is, is it true, if we put people into a magnet that is a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine and we can monitor the activity in the brain, is it possible that if it is a higher priced wine, albeit unbeknownst to you, it's the same wine that is being delivered into your mouth, you don't know that, but if it's a higher priced wine, you think it's a higher priced wine, is it possible that certain areas of the brain that code for pleasure will be more active? than if it is a lower price wine, and that's what we found. So you see the kind of pattern of research. The question, basic question came from an interesting kind of issue in the real world, and typically that's how uh, the, the business, most, most research in business will have that angle to it, but we still publish in the same journals. I mean, you can take a journal like our lead, leading journal, a journal of consumer research. You have Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, which is a leading re, uh, journal in psychology. You, I, I, you don't know the, I, where it is coming from. You literally take the thing, you can't tell the difference between those two, it'll be almost identical. So we do exactly what they do, except, you know, it's going to have a slightly business oriented angle to that. Thank you. Eric, from a student perspective, um, can you tell us what it's like, what you learn, um, your experience?
3: Sure. Uh, first, uh, welcome to all of you guys. Um, you know, when I heard how many people were going to be here today, I, I gave a lot of thought about uh, what I would say in some of the range of topics. but. Uh, Regardless of where I let my mind wander, I always came back to the, the same point, which is that I really love the PhD program here at Stanford, uh, I really love it, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's right for everyone. And I don't want you guys to think that the reason I'm up here today is simply to trumpet the, the virtues of attending Stanford, uh, but rather I'm hoping to provide you guys with some perspective as to what you guys may actually encounter should you ultimately enroll in the program. Um, so. Broadly speaking, the, the GSB, as you may have been able to tell thus far, is, is, uh, is a lot of things. It's interdisciplinary. Uh, it's an exciting place to do research. But it's also very challenging uh, for students. Uh, the workload is, uh, I would describe it as intense. And I'm sure that's something that uh, you guys have heard uh, elsewhere. Uh, but and it's, it's most likely more rigorous than you're accustomed to at the undergraduate level. It requires a lot of discipline, uh, and it requires a lot of focus. Uh, during my first couple of years here, when I was uh, taking classes, uh, I worked, you know, uh, every, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, uh, many hours, and I worked most weekends as well. And of course, this will vary depending upon the program. Uh, but if, certainly, from my experience, it required a lot of work, uh, and that's not to scare you off. It's just to provide you with a perspective as to what you may expect. Um, some people will uh, maybe thinking about enrolling in a in a PhD program as a way to continue the undergraduate lifestyle that you've become so accustomed to. Uh, you know, I don't recommend that. Uh, really, you know, the people who do well in the PhD program, obviously, you know, it takes a lot of brains, but it uh, I think more than anything, it requires a lot of hard work and dedication. That's something that you want to make sure that you have, but also convey to the admissions committee that that's something that uh, you know is is special about you. Um, I would say that one of the great things that makes all that hard work possible and, and oftentimes enjoyable is that uh, the Stanford GSB is, a, is not only interdisciplinary, but it's also a very cooperative environment in the sense that you know, there's something about being here at, at Stanford or the GSB that makes peop- people seem to be in a good mood. Maybe it's being here at Stanford or the typically very nice weather. but. It really breeds a good sense of cooperation among the students, which helps a tremendous amount in getting a very broad array of perspectives to help you with to solve problems. Uh, one of the things you'll learn here is that it's so important to be able to learn from uh, other bright individuals who don't necessarily come from the same background that you do. It really helps a lot in terms of solving problems and open your eyes to things that you would not have normally thought about. So in addition to things that you may uh, also learn at the program is that there is a tremendous distinction uh, between undergraduate and graduate courses in the sense that my experience as an undergraduate was that there was more of an emphasis on things like memorization and basic principles, whereas at the graduate level, you really need to have a very strong uh, concept of uh, or understanding of precision and higher analytical reasoning and creativity. Those are the things that are really gonna help separate the people who do well in the program versus those who do not. Um, you'll learn to think like an academic. Uh, And this is both good and bad. Uh, I think, you know, you learn to think like an academic not only for for research purposes, but it changes the way that you see everyday, normal, day-to-day things. Like, you'll think about the world differently in terms of statistical inference and incentive structures and, and, of course, rhetoric and discourse. I remember uh, a couple months ago, I was um, watching television with some of my friends who aren't PhD students, and there was this Mountain Dew commercial that came on, and it mentioned that it uh, said, you know, fact, men are three times more likely to be hit by lightning than women. And just as a very visceral reaction, I just you know belted out in a very measured, incredulous tone that, oh, you didn't control for uh, self-selection, <laughs> and the the people who look. Uh, my friends were looking at were sitting next to me and they were looking at me you know as if I was a very big nerd and that 's probably true, but it 's something that like you you go to be accustomed, uh, accustomed to, and that's sort of the way that it, it changes your thinking is is a very powerful and wonderful concept and once you realize you know you learn to embrace the the uh, the, the change in the way that you think about the world you know when you get to learn from the world 's experts on these subjects it's it 's a really wonderful feeling uh, so In in case I have uh, sold you or they've sold you on the merits of applying to a PhD program and you guys uh, feel that you're ready, a couple things that I would recommend in terms of the um, application process is that it's so important that you figure out um, that the program is right for you, uh, and uh, by that I mean speak to faculty and administrators, speak to current students. I think current students will give you a a real strong indication as to what you're going to expect in your individual program. Figure out the the structure of the program and figure out if people are happy there. Uh, I don't say that simply because I'm happy here, but when I was in your position a couple years ago, I visited schools and I talked to students at various places, and I got the sense that there was a lot of variation in terms of where people were happy, and that makes a big difference because the the general collective mood of the community it has a lot of um, you know ripple effects not only in terms of how people interact with each other but certainly the cooperation among students um, and i'll say this while it varies a tremendous amount of, across individual programs uh, for programs like economics and finance and accounting there's a central emphasis on mathematics and analytical reasoning uh, that often separates you know the people uh, who have uh, you know, basic undergraduate training versus those people who are ready to make the leap towards a higher level of graduate training. This, of course, varies from program to program, but I found that it it makes a very big difference uh, in making a smooth transition if you had, um, you know, if if you thought about these concepts and have this sort of basic background. It's certainly not required, but I I think, uh, from my perspective, it's helpful. Um, I think the earlier you can start to identify research interests, or at least things that you find interesting, the better off you'll be. The more you can start to talk to professors at individual programs about how your research in- interests align with theirs. Um, I think that's something that's helpful to make sure that you're the right fit for the program, but also to convey to the professors that you're thinking about these um, broader issues. Um, and as, many, uh, or as everyone has mentioned today, um, Getting your Ph.D. at a business school is a major, major undertaking, um, and it's important that when you apply to programs, it's important that you identify or, and you understand the sacrifices that are required, uh, and it's important that when you write your letters of rec- – I'm sorry, write your letters of uh, – your yeah, yeah your, state, your personal statement letters, that you think very hard um, not only that, to demonstrate to people that you recognize the sacrifice that's required, but also that you know what you're making the sacrifice for. That is, you know what you're striving for, and then what's you know keeping you uh, focused in the program. Um, I can offer a, a lot of different perspective as to what it's like here at Stanford. I can't speak to every individual program, but as I mentioned, it, uh, you know, I, I absolutely love love the, the program here, and I'm glad to answer any of the questions
0: you guys have. Thank you, Eric. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.